This is 99% Invisible. I'm Roman Mars. In 1960, a new wonder drug hit the U.S. market. And while a lot of new drugs promised dramatic results, this one would actually transform millions of lives and radically shift American culture. It was called Enovid. It was the first oral contraceptive. Drugs, for many, seem the answer to all the problems. When a government agency approves the first birth control pill in 1960, it helps set in motion forces that will soon change the social mores of the world. In just two years, 1.2 million American women were taking the birth control pill. That's reporter Lila Turniff. Within five years, the pill would become the most popular form of birth control in the country. It let women choose if and when they wanted to have children. It gave them more freedom to pursue careers. And it helped usher in the free love era of the late 1960s. It was a big deal. And even if you've never taken the pill, you can probably picture its packaging. There's the round plastic package that opens like a shell and looks kind of like a makeup compact. There's also the more low-key rectangular pill sheets with each pill arranged in four neat rows for every day of the month. It's hard to think of other prescription drug packages that are as widely recognizable as those of the birth control pill. But the pill didn't always have special packaging. The first birth control pill to hit the market came in a simple glass bottle of loose tablets, like any other prescription drug. They come in big bottles for a year's supply, smaller bottles for a month's supply. and As the pill went from nondescript bottles to the iconic pill packages, it came to represent larger trends in American medicine. Women were beginning to take more control over their own bodies, and their demands for a new standard of patient autonomy would go on to affect prescription packaging of all kinds. It all started with a family in Illinois. In 1961, David and Doris Wagner were a middle-aged couple with four kids. They didn't want any more of them, and so they were thrilled to learn about the pill. Doris got a prescription. The pills came in a big bottle. The instruction said to begin the pill on the fifth day of her period and to take one pill every day for 20 days, followed by a five-day break for menstruation. If Doris lost track of her cycle, or if she forgot whether or not she had taken her pill that day, she was instructed to pour all the pills out of the bottle, count how many pills were left, subtract that from the original number of pills, and consult a calendar. Not a super user-friendly design. And if she missed a pill, she risked getting pregnant again. So David Wagner noticed that his wife, Doris, was often sort of concerned about taking her pills, and he was also concerned about whether or not she was taking her pills. The Wagners have since passed away, but this is Carolyn Isart, a women's health expert who's researched the Wagners and their role in the history of birth control packaging. So he thought, hmm, why don't I do something about this? David Wagner was an engineer for a tool company in Illinois, and he was used to solving mechanical problems. He figured he could create a packaging system that would make the pill-taking process easier for his wife. First, he tried something really simple. He took a piece of paper and he wrote out the days of the week and put the pills on the piece of paper along with the days of the week to sort of make it into a bit of a calendar. And that worked pretty well. At least for a few weeks. Then, I guess the story goes, something fell on the dresser and the pills got scattered and fell on the floor. And that was that. That made him think, maybe I can make a package that, say, you could throw in your purse, throw in your bag, take with you, and it would keep everything in order. 
So what he came up with is today very familiar to anyone who's probably used the birth control pill. Diane Wendt is a curator of the extensive birth control archive at the Smithsonian Museum of American History. And we actually have some of the prototypes over here. Wagner's original prototype was made out of two discs of clear plastic and a snap fastener that he borrowed from a child's toy. The bottom disc held 20 pills. The top disc had one hole drilled through it, which could be rotated each day to expose the correct pill along with the corresponding day of the week. Having this system that made pill-taking more intuitive helped Doris and David feel a lot more comfortable. This is David Wagner writing in, let's see, January 16, 1995. This is a letter Wagner sent the Smithsonian Museum for their birth control archive. Both Doris and I could tell at a glance whether a pill had been taken on a given day. This did wonders for our relationship. Wagner successfully received a patent for his design. But he had trouble convincing pharmaceutical companies to get on board. He actually took it around to some of the big companies, and most of them said sort of things like, well, we don't need that. That's kind of gimmicky and everything. At the time, drug companies were known for the boring sameness of their prescription packaging. Wagner was told that a special package just for birth control sounded kind of commercial and flashy. His design was turned down by every company he approached. But then, just a few months later, one of the companies he'd met with, called Ortho Pharmaceuticals, released their first birth control pill. And these pills came in a circular plastic container with a dial that moved each day to reveal the next pill. It was called the Dial Pack. To David Wagner, the Dial Pack looked very familiar. Maybe a little too familiar. Wagner threatened a lawsuit, and in December of 1964, he signed an agreement with Ortho Pharmaceuticals for $10,000 and a promise not to sue. Another company called Searle soon began paying Wagner royalties for the rights to produce a similar pill container, and pretty soon, all birth control manufacturers were coming out with a version of this circular design. Here's Diane Wendt again, reading from the letter Wagner wrote to the Smithsonian. He said, some people have wondered how I made out financially. I spent about $30 on the six models I made in my basement, and the rest of my costs were legal fees. Uh, over the life of the patent, he says he netted about um, 100000 in royalties. Eventually, David Wagner got tired of chasing royalty obligations from pharmaceutical companies, and he sold the patent rights to ortho pharmaceuticals. He returned to his quiet life in Illinois, but his design became a national sensation. As pharmaceutical companies began marketing these new birth control pills, they faced a couple obstacles. Obstacles that the packaging design would help overcome. First of all, the pill marked a big turning point in the pharmaceutical industry. Before birth control, only sick people took pharmaceutical drugs. The birth control pill was one of the first prescriptions intended to be taken by healthy Americans. And so pharmaceutical companies designed the packaging to look not like medicine, but instead like an ordinary, everyday object. They began packaging the pills in circular plastic cases that looked a lot like makeup compacts. They were decorated with bright colors and graphics. I would say flowers and butterflies are probably the most common on them. Um, I always kind of wonder about that, why they didn't get a little more edgies, at least at times. Pharmaceutical companies also experimented with packaging gimmicks to make daily pill-taking seem normal and unremarkable. 
One pill company went so far as to bundle a toothbrush and a bar of soap with each prescription. You know, brush your teeth, wash your face, take your pill. It's kind of, you know, another part of a daily routine. The other challenge that pharmaceutical companies faced as they rolled out this groundbreaking new medication was the conservative outlook of some doctors. In the 1960s, doctors were overwhelmingly male and some were wary about the revolutionary impact the birth control pill would have on sex and gender roles. The subject for this afternoon's continuing discussion of the pill is the power to prescribe. In 1967, a group of doctors gathered in San Francisco at a symposium called The Pill and the Puritan Ethic, where they explored the moral implications of the birth control pill. Here's Dr. Donald Minkler, a leader in women's health and family planning, describing the challenges the pill presented for physicians who might be uncomfortable with changing attitudes towards premarital sex. How can he maintain his emotional neutrality? in the face of rapidly changing values among his younger patients, whose code of conduct often will differ markedly from his own. The ethical dilemmas posed by the demand and the obvious need for contraceptive advice among the young and unmarried has generated a good deal of anxiety and discomfort in the minds of physicians. Not only were physicians grappling with stuff that was actually none of their business, they also thought that some of their young female patients might not even be responsible enough to manage their daily pill-taking regimen. Here's another doctor at the symposium, Dr. Albert Long. The girl who can't remember to take her pill every morning is in trouble. And this, this, this is one of the problems with the pill. We have to have a patient who will understand how it is used, use it correctly. Pharmaceutical companies needed to market the pill to skeptical doctors who might not be totally comfortable with the idea of women taking control of their reproductive health. And once again, they used the pill's packaging to help them do that. Pharmaceutical companies produced dozens of ads that targeted physicians. They marketed the new pill packages as a way to help female patients take the pills correctly. They advertised the device as the package that remembers for her, or the foolproof method. Each company insisted their pill package design would help the female patients stay on schedule. Which was true. The packaging did help women stay on schedule. But the marketing of these so-called compliance packages played into some doctors' struggles for control at a time when their cultural authority was weakening. Here's medical historian Dominique Tobel. Prior to the introduction of oral contraceptives, the image of the physician-patient relationship is really one in which patients, whether male or female, would really kind of just do what the physician said. It was like this period of medical paternalism that physician knows best. With the introduction of the pill, the idea that a, a woman would go to the doctor's office and demand a particular prescription, that was something that was, was quite new. As the 60s progressed, more and more women began taking the pill. And a series of Supreme Court cases also helped establish that women, both unmarried and married, had a legal right to contraceptive medications. The invention of the pill and these subsequent legal victories were hailed as feminist milestones. But there was a darker side to the pill, too. And this darker side would lead to one more major revolution in pharmaceutical packaging. The pill of the 1960s is not the same pill we have today. The old pill had about seven times more estrogen. And this high dose of estrogen caused some negative side effects like dizziness and nausea. 
as well as more serious problems like blood clots and higher risk of cancer. Some of these problems had been apparent in early birth control trials, but the trials had been conducted in the 1950s in Puerto Rico, where the pill was primarily tested on low-income women, many of whom were not even aware they were participating in a medical trial. Researchers mostly ignored their complaints. As the pill moved into the mainstream, most women did not hear about these health risks from their doctors. And it was hard to fathom that the pill that came in pink plastic compacts, the pill that millions of women carried around in their purses, that those pills could be dangerous. Then, in 1969, a book was published. Barbara Seaman, who was a journalist at the time, wrote The Doctor's Case Against the Pill, which which documented what she and others believed was really kind of a, kind of egregious treatment by drug companies and physicians and the FDA, the failure to kind of acknowledge these serious risks around the pill. As women learned about these risks, they got angry. Most didn't want the pill to be taken off the market, but they did want more transparency about the side effects. In 1970, Barbara Seaman's book inspired Congress to hold hearings to investigate the safety of the birth control pill, But no women were invited to testify at these hearings. It was a panel of men, white men. And this, not surprisingly, um, was was really alarming to seamen and other feminists at that time. And so they protested at those hearings and demanded that their voice be heard about the pill. Each morning of the hearings, a group of women from the activist group DC Women's Liberation convened at the Capitol with prepared questions and bail money tucked into their socks. The women strategically placed themselves in the middle of audience rows and repeatedly interrupted the hearings, demanding more transparency. Why have you assured the drug companies that they can testify? Why have you told them they will get top priority? They're not taking the pills. We are. Uh was really a remarkable um, show of activism and kind of showcasing the paternalism of medicine at that time. We are not going to sit quietly any longer. You are murdering us for your profit and convenience. I'm not going to permit the uh, proceedings to be interrupted in this way. If you ladies would uh, Our sit lives down. have been interrupted by taking this pill. We're conducting... I don't think the hearings are any more important than our lives. These hearings revealed that some doctors had long been aware of the negative side effects of the pill, and many had failed to adequately alert their female patients. The situation left many women feeling torn. They were grateful for the freedom and autonomy the pill gave them, but they also felt betrayed by the doctors and pharmaceutical companies that had failed to warn them about the possible risks. At this point, the pill had been on the market for nearly a decade. We will no longer tolerate intimidation by white-coated gods antiseptically directing our lives. I mean, this really had uh, a different kind of transformative impact on the physician-patient relationship because the health risks around the birth control pill, these really raise the issue of, like, does the physician know best? Do they know best and do they act in the best interests of patients? Over the years, the hormonal dosage of the pill was gradually lowered, and it became much safer for women, although there are still some negative side effects. You know, the longer-term longer legacy is that, you know, now we have a healthcare environment in which patients or pharmaceutical consumers are really much more willing to, to kind of raise questions and raise concerns. 
The scandal also led to one more enduring innovation in pill packaging. Feminist health activists successfully changed FDA policy to require a typed warning of side effects to be included in every birth control package. This laid the groundwork for the side effects warnings that come in all prescription packages today. So today, when you pick up a prescription, any prescription, that little typed sheet you get that lists every side effect from the mild to the terrifying, you have birth control to thank for that. Of course, these inserts present their own design challenges. If you've ever tried to read one, you're familiar with the tiny font, the medical jargon, and the completely overwhelming amount of information. Common birth control side effects include intermenstrual spotting, nausea, breast tenderness, headaches, weight gain, mood changes, misperiods, hirsutism, decreased libido. Let's hope there's a good designer out there to make sense of all that information for us. 99% Invisible was produced this week by Lila Cherniff with Delaney Hall. Mix and tech production by Sharif Youssef. Music by Sean Rial, Melodium, and OK Akumi. Our senior producer is Katie Mingle. Kurt Kolstead is the digital director. The rest of the staff includes Avery Truffleman, Emmett Fitzgerald, Taryn Mazza, and me, Roman Mars. We are a project of 91.7 KALW in San Francisco and produced on Radio Row in beautiful downtown Oakland, California. Support is provided by Squarespace. Every once in a while, I get this urge to start something new. There's this creative energy when you're starting a new project that cannot be beat. If you're at that stage and you're ready to take over the world, it's time to make your next move for the beautiful website made with Squarespace. They have very pleasing, award-winning templates for your website and online store that just work and look good. There's nothing to install, patch, or upgrade ever, so you can focus on the parts of the project you really want to focus on. But if you ever need any help, Squarespace provides kind, extremely non-judgmental, 24-7 customer support. For a free trial and 10% off your first purchase, visit squarespace.com invisible. Support comes from Article. Article has recently launched a new bedroom collection. It features mid-century modern and industrial design influences. And like all of Article's furniture, they pay really close attention to detail. And the collection features high-quality solid wood and stunning fabrics. And of course, it's all remarkably affordable and shipped to your door for a flat fee of $49. Get $50 off your first order at article.com slash 99PI. Don't pull a Terran Mazza and forget to use my code when you buy a new couch. <laughs> it's article.com slash 99PI. <laughs> Support for 99% Invisible comes from Sonos. My favorite piece of architecture is a home filled with music. I love my punk rock showers, my Hamilton soundtrack dinners, and my post-punk dishes, and every moment in between. My Sonos system is one of the best purchases I've made in the last five years. My whole family just loves it. And for the first time ever, Sonos is offering the listeners of 99% Invisible 10% off one order of $1,000 or less for any product on Sonos.com. This offer is available for a limited time only and cannot be combined with other discounts or promotions. To receive this exclusive offer of 10% off, use the promo code INVISIBLE10. That's INVISIBLE10 at Sonos.com. Do it. You're going to love it. We are a proud founding member of Radiotopia from PRX, supported by the Journalism Defending Knight Foundation and coin-carrying listeners just like you. You can find the show and join discussions about the show on Facebook. You can tweet at me at Roman Mars and the show at 99pi.org. We're on Instagram, Tumblr, and Reddit too. But we have new articles by Kate Wagner of McMansion Hell and our own Kurt Kolstad on our website. That's 99pi.org. Radiotopia.